welcome to my podcast, Writing Then and Now. Uh, I am Linda Lavid, and I'm a writer and publisher of fiction and nonfiction. In my podcast, I read excerpts from books written prior to 1930. Why 1930? I don't know. But uh, mostly they're out of copyright, and not that I read the whole thing anyways, it's just excerpts, so it's really fair use in any event. But uh, for my listeners, you can find all these books on the Gutenberg uh, Project, the Gutenberg.org. They're all available for download or for to be read online. They're also available on Amazon uh, if you want to um, buy them. As they've been republished, reprinted many times. So today we're going to look at Mr. Joseph Conrad. I don't know if I've ever read anything by Joseph Conrad. Um, this is called The Secret Agent, and it was published in, in 1907. So, shall we begin with Joseph Conrad's The Secret Agent from 1907. Chapter 1. Mr. Verloc, going out in the morning, left his shop nominally in charge of his brother-in-law. It could be done because there was very little business at any time and practically none at all before the evening. Mr. Verloc cared little, cared but little about his ostensible business, and moreover, his wife was in charge of his brother-in-law. Um, well, that's interesting. That's kind of funny. I like that. Mr. Verloc is going to leave his brother-in-law's in charge, and that's his wife's problem, so I like that. Uh, the shop was small, and so was the house. It was one of those grimy brick houses which existed in large quantities before the era of reconstruction dawned upon London. The shop was a square box of a place, with the front glazed in small panes. In the daytime, the door remained closed. In the evening, it stood discreetly, but just suspiciously ajar. Now, I'm going to stop here just for a minute. I don't know. I'm sort of curious. What is this shop? So I'm definitely going to read more. And it's only open in the evenings, which makes me wonder, what is this about? Of course, the title is The Secret Agent, so let's continue. The window contained photographs of more or less undressed dancing girls, nondescript packages in wrappers like patent medicines, closed yellow paper envelopes, very flimsy, and marked two and six in heavy black figures, a few numbers of ancient French comic publications hung across a string as if to dry, a dingy blue china bowl, a casket of black wood, bottles of marking ink, and rubber stamps, a few books with titles hinting at impropriety, a few apparently old copies of obscured newspapers, badly printed, with titles like The Torch, The Gong, rousing titles, and the two gas jets inside the panes were always turned low, either for economy's sake or for the sake of customers. Now, so he's describing what's in the window. What a wonderful way to start a story. Because you got a lot of um, ephemera over here. Uh, the non-undressed dancing girls in uh, black, let's see, uh, Mark two and six in heavy black figures, uh, papers, comics. Um, an old china bowl, a casket of black wood, marking ink, rubber stamps, a few books with, with titles hinting at impropriety. So this is very interesting to me. Shall we go on? Hey, Joe, I miss you. I should have been reading you all these years. These customers were either very 
very young men who hung out about the window for a time before slipping in suddenly, or men of a more mature age, but looking generally as if they were not in funds. Some of them, some of that last kind had the collars of their overcoats turned right up to their mustaches and traces of mud on the bottom of their nether garments, which had the appearance of being much worn and not very valuable. And the legs inside them did not, as a general rule, seem of much account either. With their hands plunged deep in the side pockets of their coats, they dodged in sideways, one shoulder first, as if afraid to start the bell going. Now, uh, this is so uh, well written. He takes this, this description of an action and it, he makes it very unique. The man, the man with their hands plunged deep in their side pockets of the coats, they dodged in sideways one shoulder first as if afraid to start the bell going. In other words, they're trying to sneak in and they're, they're turning themselves to, be, to minimize themselves as they walk through the door frame. The door, yeah. Uh, so, yes, let's go. Let's keep going. And so far, there's no dialogue. I don't see any dialogue for quite a distance. Um, let's keep going. It clattered. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, now let's go. Let's, oh, I, missed a, I missed the next line. The bell hung on the door by means of a curved ribbon of steel was difficult to circumvent. It was hopelessly cracked, but of an, e but of an evening... At the slightest provocation, they clattered behind the customer with impudence, impudent virulence. So no one was going to get in that store without the owner knowing. It clattered, and at that signal through the dusty glass door behind the painted deal counter, Mr. Verloc would issue hastily from the parlor at the back. His eyes were naturally heavy. He had an air of having wallowed, fully dressed, all day on an unmade bed. Another man would have left such an appearance a distinct disadvantage. In a commercial transaction of the retail order, much depends on the seller's engaging and amiable aspect. But Mr. Verloc knew his business and remained undisturbed by any sort of aesthetic doubt about his appearance. With a firm, steady-eyed impudence, which seemed to hold back the threat of some abom abominable menace, he would proceed to sell over the counter some object looking obviously and scandalously not worth the money which passed in this transaction. A small cardboard box with apparently nothing inside, for instance, or one of those carefully closed yellow flimsy envelopes, or a soiled volume in paper covers with a promising title. Now and then it happened that one of the faded yellow dancing girls would get sold to an amateur as though she had been alive and young. Sometimes it was Mr. Ver Mrs. Verloc who would appear at the call of the cracked bell. Winnie Verloc was a young woman with a full bust, in a tight bodice, and with broad hips. Her hair was tidy. Steady-eyed like her husband, she preserved an air of unfathomable indifference behind the, rampant, the rampart of the counter. Then the customer of comparatively tender years would get suddenly disconcerted at having to deal with a woman and with rage in his heart would proffer a request for a bottle of marking ink, retail value sixpence, price in Burlock's one shop, one and sixpence, which once outside he would pro drop stealthily into the gutter. 
So here we have, we're not sure what they're selling, but it sounds licentious. It sounds maybe illegal. Uh, it sounds like maybe dirty pictures, but it sounds like it could be even more than that. Now let's go a little further. The evening visitors, the men with collars turned up and soft hats rammed down, nodded familiarly to Mrs. Verdock and with a muttering greeting, lifted, the, lifted up the flap at the end of the counter in order to pass into the back parlor, which gave access to a passage and to a deep flight of stairs. The door of the shop was the only means of entrance to the house in which Mr. Verlock carried on his business of a seller of shady wares, exercised his vocation of a protector of society, and cultivated his domestic virtues. These last were pronounced. He was thoroughly domesticated. Neither his spiritual nor his mental nor his physical needs were of the kind to take him much abroad. He found at home the ease of his body and the peace of his conscience, to get conscience together with Mrs. Verloc's wifely attentions and Mrs. Verloc's mother's deferential regard. Uh, this is a charming beginning. I don't know what is going on here, but I'm curious. Uh, his description, as I said, mentioned earlier, is that unique, uh, identif you know, it's not so unique that you have to stop and say, what is he saying in here? It's unique, but quickly processed in your brain, or at least in my brain, of what he's saying. And it's said in a very humorous, uh, sometimes uh, sardonic, I don't know way. It's just very, very clever. It's a very clever writer in this, this Mr. Joseph Conrad. Um, I wish I knew, there's a famous book, I mean, there's probably several famous books by him, but I can't say that I read any of them. And I can't recall any of them. Whenever I do these podcasts, I just pretty much, I go into Google and I put in a year, and then I just put in novel. And then I go to uh, the Google searches and I look at the novels that were in that year. And I try, I may not try to get some unknown authors, but usually I pick someone who has been sort of well-known. Um, but that may change. So anyways, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. I have certainly enjoyed this. And would I read Joseph Conrad? Yes, I would. I would give this a uh, two thumbs up. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.